Welcome to Bibliophiles, a production of the Center for Lit Podcast Network. Here on the show, we attempt to find universal ideas and stories all around us, whether old or new, in every medium and in any genre. We hope to participate in a great conversation alongside our favorite authors and artists across the ages about the stuff of life, man's frailty and glory, his muck and his marvel, his faith and his doubt. In this season, the Center for Lit crew goes to the movies. We're looking at what happens when our favorite books are adapted for the big screen, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Over the course of 10 episodes, we'll be discussing the similarities and differences between the two mediums and what distinguishes a successful adaptation from a real stinker. So grab some popcorn and enjoy the show. Friends, welcome back to one final episode of Bibliophiles. Keep your shirts on. We're not ending the show. We're just ending this season. Right on, the right season on. of Bibliophiles comes to an end today. Keep your shirts on. Today we are doing a retrospective, a wrap-up, if you will, of our whole season, which has been so much fun, talking about film as literature in all sorts of various ways. I hope you guys have enjoyed yourselves as much as we have enjoyed ourselves recording these episodes. Today I have a, a question for you. This icebreaker is going to take the whole episode. You guys ready? <laughs> Let's do ready. it. Oh, yeah. And I'll take volunteers for our first contestant. We have been instructed to choose a title and pretend that we are in the, I guess it's sort of a hybrid chair, the directors and casting chair and cast the movie. And so it doesn't matter, ground rules, doesn't matter if this has been adapted before because it's your own idea of who you'd want to play the roles and how you'd want to adapt it yourself. Oh, I didn't know that. Would it have changed your goal? <laughs> Maybe, but that's okay. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> So that doesn't necessarily matter. You just have to choose a title and then tell us who would play the principal parts and why you think so. And you are pr everyone can argue with everyone. Let the fisticuffs <laughs> begin. Nice. Who would like to go first? I, th I did think we had to choose a work of literature that had never been adapted. I also before. thought oh, this. Yeah, I didn't know that. I, I definitely chose one that has been adapted before. Extra brownie points if you chose one that has never been adapted before. I hereby dec decree right, it. Good. Okay. So who's volunteering to go first? Well, should we start with a funny one or, or a serious one? That's a great question. Someone took it seriously. <laughs> I took well, I did. fire. I play the straight man in this group. <laughs> nice. So, How about I, the straight man will go first and y'all can <laughs> kind of follow up with some comic relief. How's that? Sounds great. Sounds great. Okay. So I want to see somebody do a good job with divine comedy. Ooh, okay. Oh, so I've said that before. I know. I just think it's ripe for all of the special effects that we're capable of at this point in time. Somebody tried it. There was a Spencer Tracy film version of The Inferno in 1935. And I kind of peeked into it a little bit, didn't watch the whole thing because the special effects were, shall we say, lacking. Pre-war. <laughs> it was black and white. And, he, you know, it, it, it was pretty bad. Pretty bad in terms of special effects. Lots of it looked like a carnival. <laughs> Whoa! So you know, I just like to see it done today. There was also a 1924 silent film version of it, as I understand it. Seems like the wailing and gnashing of teeth wouldn't really come across in a silent film. So much. right, yeah, right. I think there was full frontal nudity in it. Whoa! Though, so that's oh dear! Interesting. Oh no! At least uh, any of you who you know hear this and say, "I think I'll go looking for that," maybe don't. Be aware. But 
I hear that there's something in in the works, perhaps. Interesting. With this right now, with I think it's Warner Brothers that really is, not they have a twenty four rights to it. <laughs> Script a what? Are you sure it's not a twenty four? Because those guys love to do weird stuff. <laughs> No, it's it's Warner Brothers has brought the rights to a film script by Dwayne Worrell. Can't recall having heard we that. Got to start doing The Wall for Netflix. Oh, and he's done a couple other things too that I'd never heard of before. But he apparently they vied for his script, and I found information online that it had begun in 2014, and then another article about it in 2020. But there's no projected date for it to be released, and they're not saying who's directing, they're not saying who's starring. There's really no information. The last time that it um, kind of fell apart for them, it was because they thought it was going to take too much money. So I don't know, maybe they've shelved it for a while now too. Who knows? But since it hasn't come out yet, (laughs) I put together my own little cast, okay? (laughs) okay? Also, just by the by, before I tell you that, one of the things I noticed is that it looks like Worrell's script strays from the original. Capital, well, yeah, he probably puts actual people from our time in hell, like Dante did. <laughs> yeah, well, that would be interesting. But Emily laughs wickedly. <laughs> I was in hell and you all were there. <laughs> well, in this particular film, he has Dante being a hero descending into the nine circles of hell in order to rescue his beloved Beatrice. That's a... Oh, so how that for a role interesting reversal. reading. Yeah. I know. And I, all I'm thinking is, seriously, in this day and age, you're going to pull that one? I mean, I wonder what the feminists are going to say. <laughs> <laughs> He's taking Beatrice, who is the heroine, right? Hero, the heroine Beatrice, who sends Virgil down to rescue Dante. <laughs> and making her the damsel in distress. Yeah. What the heck is that? Right? That's crazy. Okay, anyway, laying that aside and moving ahead, I bet that what they're going to do is capitalize on the, I bet they're going to make it a franchise and drag the Inferno itself out, right? So that each circle is its own movie. That sounds like the that most boring thing I've ever terrible. heard. Doesn't that sound <laughs> awful? No one's going to see that. I know. Who would watch that? Okay, but what I, I think they should do is stick to the three, right? And do a franchise of three films um, like Dante's three books. I think that that the first should be the Inferno and then the Purgatorio and the Paradiso, right? And in the Inferno, it's the only one that I've cast, I think that the director should be Peter Jackson. Of okay, course, obviously. Right? Perfect. He could make great hay with all of the necessary, scary, Goons dramatic tension. Yeah, all that stuff. He would be awesome at that. I think that Steven Zalian should write the script. He's the guy that wrote Schindler's List. So Ooh. he's adept at Gracious. Um, doing a fine job with dramatic tension and he's sensitive right so it wouldn't just devolve into a carnival if somebody with a little sensitivity was working with the script i think the score should be done by john williams mm. or maybe john williams paired up with jean yves thibaudet am i saying his name right well, yes no who is that okay <laughs> he he also participated in the pride and prejudice score you have prepared so well for this. I'm really so impressed. The fact that in real life, alpha dogs like John Williams don't pair up with people, that doesn't matter. It doesn't, doesn't matter to me. This is in a perfect world, right? Because we would get the, the epic grandeur of John Williams' scores paired with the sensitivity of Thibaudet's scores, 
think it would be a brilliant pairing. Dante enters the inferno. Do, do, do. Yeah. Do, do, do. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 Jurassic Park. But demons, you guys. Demons. That's what he would get in reference to anything about Beatrice. We'd get that little line in the background. Da, 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 <laughs> it's so funny. Okay. All right. So let's see. Casting the roles. Dante. Any guesses? No, the guesses is you. No, You're supposed to give us your guesses. Oh, no, I'm going to tell you who I'd cast. Just I, tell us. I just wondered if you had any guesses about who I would choose for Dante. Who would you choose for Dante? Because I've cast. Well, I have three. You guys have to help me narrow it down. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yes. The truth comes out. This is the casting call. The casting call is we could go with Adrian Brody, who kind of looks the part. Italian right? knows, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of long in the face and reminds me of Dante. Or maybe Leonardo DiCaprio. Italian name. Dante also, freaks great, out. I, just, I think he could do a great job with the part. Consider Steve Carell, maybe too comedic. Steve Carell for I Dante? Think he'd be too funny. Steve Carell. Sweet. Too funny Steve for Carell the role. is too funny. I agree. He's too funny for the role. But I think Adrian Brody or Leonardo DiCaprio could do a good job. You might have what to make the Divine Comedy a comedy for this to get pulled off. Well, that's what I kept <laughs> thinking is that it's very dramatic and there's a lot of tension, but there should be a little bit of comedic element to it, right? It's not a comedy ha-ha. It's a comedy happy ending. And not until we get through book three, right? But I don't know. I think that Steve Carell's movies, he, he is good at comedy, but all of his movies have some depth. That's true. Like they're always talking about something real and important. And so Maybe it should anyway, be directed by Judd Apatow instead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's funny. That's a good idea. <laughs> all right. So Beatrice. I struggled with Beatrice because she's the divine Beatrice. And most of the actresses that I was pulling up online didn't look divine. They just were really pretty. <laughs> Maybe Kira Knightley? I don't As know. As Beatrice? Hmm. Or Emma Watson? Wouldn't, Who would you <clears throat> cast as Beatrice? Drew Barrymore? Maybe that's Maybe better. She's a little plain. I mean, well, like, I, next I, to, I'm no, about I mean, to say wait, something controversial. Insulting. I was like, uh, you just said something. that on the air. I, I meant like girl Drew next door. Barrymore. <laughs> she's plain. I always sort of thought <laughs> of, Jennifer Garner. I always sort of thought of Beatrice's virtues as virtues of the heart. So you think she should be and, an ugly girl? Oh, I, th I think <laughs> with yes, a good personality. So. <laughs> with a great personality. If you're yeah, trying to convey holiness on screen without it being sappy, it's helpful if the person portraying it is a little homely. There's oh, this, I know. what is her name? There's a French actress who's blonde and looks very, very beautiful and Leah kind of ethereal. No, not Leah Seydoux. She's a little sultry, actually. She, you guys, this is so funny. She played uh, Fleur Delacour in The Goblet of Fire. That's how I know her. Oh, and she's beautiful and Leah kind Sado. of like, well, she's kind of holy looking. I don't know. She's okay, she holy looking. <laughs> She's a real Alice Wendlicken. Yeah, really. <laughs> because if you know anything about Dante, Clemence he Posey, falls in love her with her from afar, right? Yeah. Okay. I think, and she doesn't have any lines either. So the girl's just <laughs> well, got to look good. She does have lines, but not in the first film. So anyway, it, it would be somebody that we'd want to cast for all three movies. So she would eventually have a lot of lines, like in the Paradiso. Anyway, laying that aside, moving on, moving on. Who's going to be Virgil? I thought of Patrick Stewart of Ooh. Star Trek. Fame. That's a good casting Ooh. choice. Yeah. Sir Patrick Stewart. <laughs> yeah, I think he'd be great as the Virgil. bald guy, <laughs> the slender hips. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. That's the one. if you've seen him in Star <laughs> Trek, you know what I mean. <laughs> in a Roman robe, <laughs> a toga. Yeah, a little toga anyway. action. <laughs> yeah, 
he could do it. I think Benedict Cumberbatch could also pull it off big time. Yeah, I see that. So you're burying the lead here because I want to know who we're punishing and where they are in hell. <laughs> yes, me too. Well, so. I told you, I just chose the major roles. <laughs> and so you didn't, you didn't choose an actor to be chewed on forever in the mouth of the devil? You didn't do that? No, but I did choose <laughs> the devil. Who's the devil? Oh. So my last casting choice is, of course, three because of the three faces of Satan, right? We're getting Jack Nicholson, Johnny Depp, and Christopher Walken. <laughs> oh. That is great. <laughs> I love the whole this thing. Is that is awesome. Definitely a comedy. <laughs> Christopher Walken. All right, all right. So talk amongst yourselves. How would you change it up? Mm. I don't know I that I would great. change it. I'd love yeah. to see I don't, it. Yeah. yeah, I would watch that. I yeah. think you I think you kind of knocked it out of the park. I think so too. I think you have a directorial problem, but yes, that's easily right. fixed. So who would you get to direct if not Peter Jackson? Well, you have to go one of two directions. It either has to be extremely philosophical, so you should get a Terrence Malick, or I really think it could work to go black comedy, in which case you would get Judd Apatow. Yeah, I think Judd Apatow could kind of kill that. <laughs> I'm game. That's brilliant. I think I think you absolutely killed it. It's exactly so what fun. I was looking for, and so much deeper than any of the preparation that I did. I'm really proud. of I know you. it's it's a little intimidating to be perfectly I got, honest. I got hum, hung up on who should play who. Wait, okay, you have another? Somebody else has to go. No, now. I said that's my straight man. I was the straight man. You were the straight now man. Now it's your turn. Oh, I see. For comic relief. Okay, who's next? Well, I'll go next because I think that it might be helpful to offset our our classics that we're focusing on. I was thinking of a juvenile fiction work mm. that I have always wished there was a good movie adaptation of, and it's The Girl of the Limberlost. That story oh. I read at the perfect time in my life. It was beautiful. It's it's If you read it without understanding, it's super duper preachy and didactic. However... If you discover it at the right moment in your life, it's lovely and the naturalism in it is captivating and the atmosphere is great. And the storyline itself is a fairy tale. So if you know that going in, then the uh, one dimensional quality of the various characters is actually kind of winning and you treat it like a Cinderella story, a rags to riches novel. As a result, the casting choices are fun because you have a lot of one dimensional strong silent types to work with. So for those of you who don't know the story, we've got a, a common country girl. Her name is Elnora Comstock, who's supposed to be quietly lovely without even trying, even though, you know, despite her circumstances, she's, she's Cinderella. And in my mind, the lady who played Fanny Price in Mansfield Park, her name is Frances O'Connor. I think she would play a great Elnora Comstock because she's beautiful but in kind of an effortless way. And she also has a good sense of humor, which I think that character needs. Uh, there needs to be an element of humor to make her likable on screen because she is going to be Cinderella. She's going to be kind of perfect uh, in every way, but like a down-home country girl kind of Cinderella. So I think Frances O'Connor would do a good job. She's supposed to have kind of a waspish mother, this, uh, this Comstock girl. Mrs. Comstock is supposed to be kind of hardened by life's trials and almost unbelievably cruel. And so I think Tilda Swinton should play nice. the character because she yes. kind of looks, she always plays yes. kind of a waspish character. She looks very yeah. sharp, all her features, Bitten. but she's also supposed to have a, an appreciation for Mark Twain's kind of sinister sense of humor. So I think Tilda Swinton could, could play both totally. sides. Of that That's a good really casting. Well. The difficult part comes when in the second half of the novel, it becomes not a coming of age story for young Elnora Comstock, but a romance and she is courted by this handsome man who just comes traipsing through the woods one day, lucky her. And he has no character whatsoever except being hunky and in love with her. 
kind of beside the point, he's already engaged to some other woman. It's fine. He's supposed to be beautiful and winning you know, and winsome. Like you said, no character, whatever. Isn't no he character. also kind of sickly? Like he's recovering from being yes, ill. Yes, except that somehow he's also hunky. Like he's he's ill and sickly, but he's also like strong and swarthy. I manage, he manages to be both. <laughs> so in my mind, he should be Henry Cavill. Because oh. he's pale, but also big and strong and manly. Right? I feel like he could pull it off. Uh, anyway, wow. Philip Ammon is supposed to be Superman. Who's he? I don't know Henry Cavill. Who's Henry Cavill played Superman in the most, most recent recently. adaptation. He, he just imagine Superman and and there you go. The most handsome Superman you've ever seen. That's no, Henry known Cavill. among Christopher Reeves. Known among most of my male peers <laughs> as the most beautiful man in the world. He might be. Okay. So if you're thinking of like a one-dimensional picture of male beauty, Henry Cavill fits. So I put him in there. <laughs> There you go. That's However, amazing. possibly the most interesting part of this story, no spoilers intended, is a love story that happens in the background between the spurned fiance, Edith Carr, who's the most beautiful woman of her generation. She is the star of society and her loyal lover, Hart Henderson. <laughs> All these titles are so great. Love Hart totally Henderson. But he is the heart and soul of this novel. He's just loyal and true and faithful and he loves her even though she completely ignores him and has eyes only for Philip Ammon and frankly herself. So Hart Henderson needs to be this character who is, well, he's supposed to be like a film noir character where he's clean cut and heroic, but also kind of a tragic hero. So in my mind, Adrian Brody fits that really well. <laughs> he manages to be handsome, but he's not the nice. leading man, but he's got these soulful, sad eyes. I don't know. I think he works. You know what I mean? So Adrian Brody got cast both as Dante and as your... What's his name? Hart Henderson. Hart Henderson. Yeah, Adrian Brody. He's he's a good. He's a compelling, sad character. You know, if he's gonna go, if he's gonna suffer, it needs to be Adrian Brody. <laughs> so Adrian Brody is gonna be rich at the end of this <laughs> this little experiment. That I we're think talking. he probably already is. <laughs> he's landed some roles. I did want to ask though. I'm not sure. As I was thinking of a director for this film, I'm not sure which direction it should go because while it has fairy tale elements, which makes me think. Kenneth Branagh, who is the best adapter of fairy tales that I know. He brings such a light and a beauty to them and makes them whimsical and deep rather than surfacy. And I would love all of those elements to be present in this adaptation. I like Greta Gerwig's interpretation of character much more. And so I think she might do a good job with the natural scenes, etc. What do you guys think? I wonder about William, is it William Goldman who did Princess Bride? He's the author Ooh. of the Princess Bride. He's the author of the of the. Didn't he also novel. direct? I don't know. I don't think I don't so. Maybe not. That'd Maybe be cool. It would make it an adventure story. I I think Greta Gerwig. You think so? Yeah. Well, Rob maybe she'll Reiner direct. directed the Princess Bride. Or Rob Reiner. Rob, Rob Reiner. Reiner. I can think. Fun. One way we should have taken this question is think of a director, and then find him a story. Right? Like, I, <laughs> yeah. I can think of some stories That's I want Rob idea. Reiner to direct. That is <laughs> totally. great. Brilliant, well, Megan. that's kind of my interpretation. And I in my that. mind, the music in the background is Richard Rodney Bennett's scores. He was the one who did the score for um, Enchanted April, which is a oh. strange little movie, but very beautiful. And its music is primarily like oboe music. It's really pretty. I love it. It's gorgeous. That is anyway, a really great score. I, what do you talk about? You're talking about how you're not prepared. Are you kidding me? Oh, well, you know, I threw it together. 
this is something I want. I want this. Wow. Maybe I should direct it. That's so great. Yeah, just we'll just uh, we'll transcribe your your casting just just then, and we'll start sending it to studios see if anybody picks it up. Man, <laughs> if they would redo it, it'd be great. This actually, I didn't know the rule that we were supposed to pick one that hadn't been done, and this has been done. I think I'm not exactly sure when it was. It was a long enough ago that it feels really dated. And they only told the first half of the story. They actually only told the coming of age story where she basically it's about her relationship with her mother rather than the part that makes little girls hearts go pity pat where she becomes a grown woman and, you know, falls you in could, love. And, and of Green Gables, that action. Though. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, I wonder if they intended uh, to, if it that? was popular enough, do a sequel. I think that the original one really reminded me of like a Saturday afternoon movie special on TV. Yeah, it was. You guys probably don't remember. Like old Yeller. Well, you nap through it. Like that, you know, you nap through it. It's not the point. Mm. Anyway, that's my contribution. I love it. That's great. I would say that. Okay, Dad, you're next. I want to see the junior high novels of Gary D. Schmidt. Oh, yeah. To baby. Awesome. Now we're talking. And I don't think it's ever been done because they're recent enough. And there are at least three of them that share characters and sort of belong in the same universe of story. Although the latest one orbiting Jupiter only has a, like a tangential connection. Well, there's an just like that is the newest one. And oh, that's right. It's, it's so, the same so it starts with the Wednesday wars starring hauling hood hood <laughs> and his <laughs> buddies at uh, the junior high school. And then is followed up by okay for now which has Hollywood in a in a minor role and takes Doug over with Swiatek. the story of Doug Swiatek. And then Orbiting Jupiter features Doug Swiatek's older brother in a minor role. And then I don't know about just like that. that it's the girl. Has... It's the girl from OK for Now. I can't remember right. her name. Hollywood so and I can, Yeah. So mm-hmm. I can see a, a series of movies that are set in the junior high, high school world of kids in the 60s, in the Vietnam War era and following that would be pretty compelling mostly because Gary Schmidt has such great things to say in, right. in those novels. And I think it needs to be said, and it would be great to see a director who's good at telling stories set in that time of life, mm-hmm. do it justice. I don't know who I would want to direct it because the, my first thought is Steven Spielberg, who's, who's famous <laughs> for setting stories among kids yep. and taking yeah. the child's like view of and- the world. But I don't know. I would want it to be, more serious than a lot of the Steven Spielberg yeah, sure. type movies that I've yeah. seen. So I, Steven's probably not going to listen to this, so I can go ahead and speak freely. I think you probably can. <laughs> but I would be looking for a little bit more gravitas than you get from E.T. <laughs> right. But however, an ensemble cast of teenagers is just the thing. So I would want maybe somebody like Steven Spielberg. Rob Reiner actually directed Stand By Me, which has a cast of kids and it's also a oh, little a darker idea. and deeper right mm-hmm. uh, in the field what about that might work. what about wes anderson dad i think he's, too whimsical he's too avant-garde too whimsical yeah. it's pretty whimsical I, I i wouldn't i wouldn't call okay for now in the wednesday wars whimsical that would no, be my, not so much the vibe but too weird they're a little bit gritty too yeah. weird. but casting wise though and this may be this may cross up expectations i would want the entire cast of the sandlot 
<laughs> That's a great idea. To be hired for this movie. That's perfect. I want They're probably old men by now, though. Yeah, but but it's I got there's some there's some adjustments. They are old men, but we, yeah. it's timeless, right? I, I have, you could do whatever you want. I get to have totally. Chauncey Laparty, for example, who plays Squints in the Sandlot. Yes. He gets to be Doug Swiatek, <laughs> and it's not it's not grown up Chauncey Laparty. Right. He's in his forties yes. now, and he looks like a a man with dark glasses. Right. That's not who I'd want. I'd want the, the, the yes. Chauncey Laparty of the Sandlot. Absolutely. She knows Wydeck. exactly what she's doing. Oiling and Oiling and lotioning. I can't take it anymore. Especially, especially I would want Dennis Leary, who plays little protagonist's father, I would want him to play Holling Hoodhood's father with exactly mm-hmm. the same Tone. attitude, you know, yeah. chain-smoking hard-bitten <laughs> attitude. Yeah. But, and then, but two little deviations from the cast of The Sandlot. I would want the guy that plays Biff in Home Alone to be Doug Swiatek's brother. Oh, that's a great the casting choice. Beefcake. Wait, is he the beefy yeah, brother this, who's got the tarantula? Yes. Yeah, okay. I would want him to play Doug Swiatek's brother who only says something, the only thing he ever says in the Wednesday Wars is, you're dead. <laughs> you know, like that. Yeah. Right. And then for the starring role of Hauling Hood Hood in the Wednesday Wars, I want Tom Holland who plays the Spider-Man, <laughs> oh, the newest yeah. Spider-Man. The Spider-Man And I've kid. only seen the first one of those because I'm behind on in the Marvel universe. And I don't know if he grows up later on in the movies, but he has not grown up yet he doesn't. in the first one. He looks eternally it's young. perfect. Not only is he slight and skinny and fresh faced, but he also acts like a naive teenager, <laughs> yep. which is critical for hauling hoodhood. So that's what I would do. And I, and I, I would keep Spielberg on a very short leash. <laughs> if that's he, fair. Um, I'd if like he, to if see he went that. whimsical and in particular, if he started giving kids, Lines that communicated that they were the ones driving the boat, driving the ship, yeah. calling the tune in this world at all. Yep. I would fire him and hire Rob Reiner. Yeah. <laughs> totally fair. Probably better with him from the beginning, honestly. <laughs> oh, man. That is goes. awesome. Yeah. And I hope, I mean, none of that's going to happen, but I hope they do make a movie out of the Wednesday Wars are okay for now someday because I think that would be really, really worth it. Well, there's some precedent recently for books in that genre relatively to get movie treatments. I mean, John Green's novels have gotten movie treatments. Oh, that's true. And I put him in a similar category to Gary Schmidt. I don't think he has nearly as much to say, but in terms of skill as an author and especially skill in writing kids, he's on par with, with Gary Schmidt. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I should have looked up who's, who's putting those movies. Yeah. I don't know who's directing those. I'd like to know though, but they also call, I mean, there's, there's some heavy content in those as well. I mean, that director might be, Eminently qualified to handle a Gary Schmidt novel. That's a good thought. Josh Boone, The Fault in Our Stars. Josh Boone. Yeah, that Boone. was the best one. They've kind of gone. I mean, I haven't seen I, all of them, but I did not think Paper the Towns next was one, well. Looking for Alaska we, was hilarious. I've never seen Looking for Alaska. Funny. Very funny. Ansel Elgort yeah. is in the first one, so that's my <laughs> Is that revealing? Sure, it is. <laughs> sure, but it's fine. <laughs> What do you envision the soundtrack being like? Or do you want like a throwback soundtrack of stuff that was on the radio in the era, kind of like the Sandlot? Yeah. Or yeah, so like the Sandlot, or like yeah, you know, like you know, Good Morning Vietnam, where all the 1960s rock and roll is yep. playing. I yeah. would want that. That's awesome. I love because it. The, you know the I mean the the Vietnam War era and the 1960s era, New York Yankees baseball and all that stuff that's very culturally specific is shot through that first novel at least. Yeah, it sure. So is. That would be cool to to have that reflected in the soundtrack. I love it. Look at the breadth of of stories that we've treated on film so far. We've got Dante's Inferno, 
We've got the girl of the limber lost. Is it a girl of, of the limber lost or yes. the girl? A. It's, it's a, girl. a girl. Presumably it's there are the multiple girl. girls in the limber lost. Except funny, funnily enough, there aren't. It's just the it's one. Just but the it's just the one. Yeah. Well, there was a swamp angel from long ago. I think it might be that she is a girl born from the limber lost rather than she is the representative <laughs> of the limber But you do lost. see the confusion. Saying? The confusion is real. <laughs> you probably just call the movie limber lost. Yeah. And then we've got Gary Schmidt. I wish I thought of Gary Schmidt. I probably would have tried to cast Anson's Way. Oh, yes. Oh, Ooh, what a great That idea. would be great. Such a great idea. Yeah, has that ever been done? I don't think it time. has, but that's the first one I would choose to adapt from Gary Schmidt. Because, I mean, period dramas. Isn't it set Period dramas all the rage right no, now. Ireland. So oh, man. you'd have no shortage of actors from the BBC to you staff and McGregor to be the father. Yes. <laughs> That's never been made into a movie. That would be so cool. Oh, that would be sweet. Okay, but that's not the one we chose, and Emily's up. Emily, go. I'm up. Emily, go. Well, go, I really struggled because I was under the impression that I was looking for something that hadn't been beat to death, and I'm not very imaginative. Okay, with, enough with the disclaimers. <laughs> I've heard what you're doing, and okay, it's awesome. Okay, okay, okay. okay. Come on, Well, Emily. I decided to cast The Secret History, which was the Donna Tartt novel that I really liked that I read recently because it's never been done. They recently did The Goldfinch. And did a pretty good job with it. So I thought that would be fun. And I had to come up with a cast of, of young college-age students. So for the narrator, Richard, who is the observer of all of them, who really wants to be... This is the story about the, the group of students in the school that are led astray by their professor into like the dark side of Greek myth. So... Well, maybe I'll start with the professor. The professor could either be, we could either go in the direction of it being Kenneth Branagh or who, so he's like eminently charming, but kind of like his role in Harry Potter. He has, he, he unknowingly, yeah, there's a sinister underside that isn't necessarily intentional. Or we could go full blown American charming and do like George Clooney or like Brad Pitt in that role. Oh yeah. Well, Clooney would be great. Yeah, I think I think George Clooney would be really good. Like George Clooney from a decade or so ago. Yeah, yeah, when he was, but you know, Silver Fox era still. Ocean's Eleven he still has yeah. to be a Silver Fox. I think he was always a. Silver Fox. <laughs> I think so too. <laughs> he was born with gray hair. So for the narrator, who's the observer and kind of accidentally participates in the coming murder, I think that I would do Joe Curie, although I think Ian disagrees with me about that. He's a little uh, hair, dopey, but hair, maybe the hair, it could work. Then for the bad guy, the the student who is the direct disciple of the professor, and then kind of the the lead of all the other students, I was thinking maybe Ansel Elgort. Although it turns out he was also in the Goldfinch. So he also, if you put appearance. Ansel Elgort and Joe Keery in the same movie, people will just get them confused the whole time. <laughs> it's true. They're in the same visual category as actors. <laughs> so there are twins in the movie, and I thought that one they're like aesthete types. Fred and George Weasley. Well, they're these are like the aesthetic it's types. It's a brother and sister. Oh, okay. So I was thinking Timothy Chalamet and Saoirse Ronan, but that that means that yep. it might automatically be directed by Greta Gerwig. Which <laughs> is not the right it's tone. Not, no, that's not right. And then Bunny, the the one who dies. He's the oaf who dies. I was thinking maybe a younger Miles Teller. He's okay. kind of dopey. This is, th that is also doesn't give anything okay. away that the, 
the opening the opening reveals dead. that there's been a murder yeah. and gotcha. the story is told in retrospect so. and he's kind of a bully so miles i'm thinking teller. miles teller okay. and i think that this is probably a pta movie a paul thomas anderson movie wait what else did he direct uh there will sake? be blood the what's the one with the tailor the phantom thread see i chose one that nobody knew anything about because i was racking my brain for a movie that hadn't been or a book that hadn't been adapted that's awesome I want to both read that book and see My other movie. thought was, because it's on the brain, I was like, I, th- I could also do Franny and Zooey. Yeah. <laughs> it could be Saoirse Ronan and Timothy Chalamet, and then it would be directed by Greta Gerwig. <laughs> mm. Yep. I could totally see that, too. Also, that's it. Those are all the characters yeah. that you need. That's true. you got to have a boorish boyfriend A couple of cardboard cutouts here and, and there, and you're done casting. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> that's brilliant. I love it. Who do you want to direct again? For The Secret History. Paul Thomas Anderson? Yeah, that's the mood I was thinking. Very brooding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you guys ever see Phantom Thread? Murder story. No. No, I haven't yet. I want to. Should watch that movie. That's a crazy movie. Really? Yeah. Fabulous performances, but then just such a profoundly weird story. It's great stuff. I love it. So Paul Thomas Anderson directed There Will Be Blood? Yes. I loved that. Okay, Ian, you're, I was going to put Timothy Chalamet in the Henry role, in the bad guy role, but what if that was Paul Dino working with PTA again? A younger <laughs> Paul. That would be amazing. We'd have to, yeah, we'd have to rewind 15 years. But That's very much a that. role. We that said would, we can do that. He punches somebody in the face. It's perfect. <laughs> yeah, it's totally Paul Dino. Whoa. That's a great idea. I love that. That's perfect. He always goes off his rocker and punches somebody at least yes. once in a Really film. good stuff. <laughs> Shaking with rage. Okay, so I, I want to do a little bit of a collaborative one. I have some ideas about this, but I have my paper is completely covered in crosses outs and replacements, and I can't decide how old the actors should be and what the tone of the movie should be. Let's collaborate on this one, okay? I have chosen right. The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. H- Mr. Hyde. Ooh, awesome. hmm. Ooh. Which I have never, I've never seen a film adaptation of. I'm sure that that one exists. There's a Boris Karloff version, isn't there? That that checks out. I bet you're right. I think Dad's probably looking it up. Um, 1931. Okay, so it's at least been a long time since they since they tried one of these, and I think that I would want Christopher Nolan directing. Reason reason for that being, I have seen The Prestige. And that is the perfect tone <laughs> for an updated Jekyll and Hyde. I think he would. It also arguably kind of, kind of is Jekyll and Hyde a little Jekyll bit. Yeah, story. it's similar. Yeah. So I know he can do it is what I'm trying to say. He can pull this off. And I okay. also just love Christopher Nolan. So I think Nolan should direct. And kind of where I'm going right now is the, the only person that I was able to cast immediately without any trouble was Utterson, who's the narrator of the story. Right. And I'm casting Brian Cox. Hmm. Remind me who that is. Uh, Brian Cox is, let's see, what would you know him He's from? He's Kutuzov. Oh, yeah, yeah Kutuzov. Kutuzov. Yep. Oh, yes. Love him. So I'm casting yeah. Brian Cox as Utterson because I want his voice to narrate the story, right? That would be just atmospheric totally. and wonderful. And because I want Utterson to have the tools to be in not all the way a fatherly position towards Dr. Jekyll, but to be older and wiser and be capable of perceiving what's going on in Jekyll's heart, even if he doesn't know what's going on in in the scientific miracle that's taking place right so i think brian cox for that role but then when it comes to dr jekyll and therefore mr hyde i mean the cool thing about casting this is we got to find a guy that can go both ways and i've seen people do it before i've seen tom hardy play a a schizophrenic character where he plays two roles in the same movie and he does a beautiful job but it seems a little on the nose i mean he's kind of a kind of a brutish guy 
and the contrast between Jekyll and Hyde needs to be more dramatic than that. Maybe it has to be, it has to be worlds apart for it to work. Right. But I don't think it needs to be actors apart for it to work. Right. I mean, couldn't it be, wouldn't it be an interesting thing to have the same man play both? Oh, I think you'd almost have to, wouldn't you? I would. I mean, I would think so. I've seen James McAvoy play a schizophrenic character like that. I hadn't very, very thought scary. about that. I only watched the trailer and I <laughs> swore to never watch the movie because it was so That's scary. a good idea. It was a horror That's movie. a good idea. But he could do it. He can play a very clean cut, nice guy, but he also can play a great movie. That was a great movie. Um, what about Carl Urban? Who is that? Aomer. Aomer King of the Rohirrim, who has most recently played... Aomer King. Thank you. Uh, full title. <laughs> Who has most recently played, had, had a turn in The Boys, which is an Amazon show that I encourage none of you to watch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a very, very bloody superhero drama that basically says, what if superheroes were real? Let's put them in the real world and see what that kind of brutish power would actually do to human bodies and stuff. I mean, it's very, very violent and gritty. It says some interesting things about culture and what we what we think a human being is for. And it's thoughtful, but it's a rough. I'm not I'm not giving it my blessing here, but he's great. Carl Urban is really good. He's looking weathered and old. He's in his, he's in his, he's looking a lot older than he was when he played Aomer. That's for sure. It's been 20 years since that came out. Right. But he has this, this blend of, of nice guy. He can totally do nice, noble character. And then also scuzzy skis bag. And I think he could, I think he could handle both parts, but that the, the disadvantage of that is that he's really, he's younger by a lot than Brian Cox. And so you want it to be a, an older yeah maybe this Jekyll movie Head. should actually be cast among the not the grandfathers of hollywood but the the old guard so who would you cast in that case i was gonna say benedict cumberbatch yeah, because of the too. acting job it would require but he's not mm-hmm. as old as brian cox either <laughs> that's true cumberbatch is a good idea and i think in the in the actual story they were school friends school they? chums yeah i think so yeah, kenneth Branagh is as old as brian cox mm-hmm. He couldn't do a villain. Oh, he yes, he can. Yes, he certainly could. He's a great Iago. He'd be great. I have seen him as a villain. I'm just saying, I think I would hug Iago. <laughs> well, but Megan, you've got to have sympathy for Jekyll. Hey, Iago. You've got to have on. so much Bring sympathy for what? Jekyll, right? Well, that's true. I mean, you would love Dr. Jekyll if it were Kenneth Branagh. You have to imagine Kenneth Branagh beating a woman to death <laughs> yeah. with a stick. Mm-hmm. I can't do it. He's a true actor. That's... I think he could do mm, it. I, I think that's the casting. I think, I think it's Brian like, Cox and Kenneth Branagh. I think Branagh. he would like Kenneth that. Branagh as Dr. Jekyll? Script, too. I think he would love the opportunity. Oh. So then that. maybe goes along pure classic maybe status. Maybe he should yeah, write well, and the study of human nature that it would provide him. I think he'd, he'd dig that. I think you're right. Maybe he should write and direct. Maybe I've got the wrong director. This doesn't have my public service. <laughs> do I have the wrong director? Is it supposed to be Kenneth Branagh? Uh, I think so. I like him better. I think the answer to what director is always Kenneth Branagh. It's always Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> Here's what I think, though. It depends on if you're trying, if you want it to be serious, then it needs to be someone like Christopher Nolan. If you want it to feel like cottage mystery, almost like the Agatha Christie feel where it's something sinister going on, but we tell it in such a way that you, the audience, are removed, it's a show, then Kenneth Branagh is the right choice. That's just not how you start it. No, I do kind of want it to be gritty. I'd, I'd love to see it elevated because I think the thematic content is very adult and very weighty. I'd love to see it elevated from kids book to... Grown-up drama. Yeah, that's a great idea. Right. And not Kenneth. <laughs> and not Kenneth. Does Kenneth ever act without directing anymore? I don't know. He might be what in a stage of his career where play he... in other people's parties? <laughs> Ian, what about Daniel Day-Lewis? <laughs> Daniel Day-Lewis oh, has got the chops. There we, go. there we go. He's definitely got the chops. 
Could he do D- Suave and Debonair? I mean, it's a weird oh, combination 100%. of roles. Like he's got to be Jekyll is supposed to be bubbly and and garrulous and of good times guy. No, no, no. He's stately and urbane and polished. That's how you. Okay, that's not how I read yeah. the character. What great words. <laughs> okay, so in that case, it totally works for Daniel Sorry. Day-Lewis to be the guy. <laughs> yeah, it does. Can Brian, Does Brian Cox have the gravitas to stand opposite Day-Lewis and hold his own? Oh, yeah. um, Ian, we just spent like forever watching Succession. <laughs> yeah, but Daniel Day-Lewis is the greatest actor of his generation. Ah, uh, yeah, but there can only be one of those anyway. I just think that's a lot of noise. <laughs> <laughs> oh, whoa! Whoa! <laughs> oh my goodness, you guys! Her own these days. <laughs> what can I say? This is, this is such a days. fun conversation. I we're we're reaching the end of our of our time together, and I want to give you guys the opportunity. If you have an issue burning in your breast, if there is a conversation from earlier in our season that you can't help but bring back up, uh, please feel free to stick your oar in. Anyone? Anyone at all? Parting thoughts <laughs> for our listenership. Well, I think this is really fun, and I think that I really like movies, and I know they're not the same thing as books, but I think it is really fun to think of all the different ways that movies communicate and are an art form in their own right, Mm. and it's been fun to think about that. Agreed. Agreed. I I really enjoyed looking at movies that had been done multiple times and Uh comparing the different ways that scriptwriters adapted the film and the way that the thematic ideas in the original were addressed or missed altogether, you know, mm-hmm. in the process. Just thinking about film as, as a way to be in conversation with the, the original work of literature is really, that was really thought provoking. I was going to say the same thing that the idea that we always run on that the great conversation is a long list of books all in the same genre has been deepened in my mind as a result of these discussions to include the idea that the great conversation is a long list of ideas being talked about in various genres. And the idea that Herman Melville drops on us in Moby Dick starts its own conversation. The conversation about Moby Dick that goes on in the genre of film as well as anything else. I think that's really been cool to think about. Just kind of piggybacking on what you said, Missy. It's, and it, it resonates with, um, I mean, it's art, right? That's what art does. Yeah, that's what it's for, right? Man, I couldn't agree more. I, I want to offer, as my parting shot, a recommendation to all of our listeners. And we've, we've been cagey with our recommendations because film is sometimes a little bit more, well, it's by nature more graphic than, than literature, I would argue. And so it's difficult to offer wholehearted, full-throated recommendations. But to all of the grown-ups listening to this show, you should go and watch The Night Manager, which is a, a British TV series starring Tom Hiddleston and Hugh Laurie as a villain. Hugh Laurie as a villain, ladies and gentlemen. See, he could be your Jekyll and Hyde. He could. He totally could. That's what, me start th- that's what made me think of this. And then Tom Hollander as a, as a demi-villain. And it is certainly for grown-ups. half a villain. Half a villain. Because <laughs> he's, like, he's, he's only villain. so high. But it, the reason I bring it up is because I think it is a wonderful example of what I've always been saying about TV series. That it is the novel version of what film can do for a story. It is enthralling from minute one to the very finish. And it feels like reading a novel. It feels like reading a thriller. Like a spy thriller. And it's, it's literary. The, the script is super well-written. It's very articulate. And the acting is top-notch. And 
you should go you should go it's watch it. It's also literally an adaptation of a work of literature. Right. Isn't that John Le Carre? Of a John Le Carre yeah. novel. Yeah. yeah. So a, a really great achievement by the filmmaking world, I think, is The Night Manager. <laughs> don't do, however, and I'm going to call out my buddy Whitaker Dunn here on the air. Don't do what he did, which is reluctantly take my advice to go watch this and then accidentally start with the last episode. Oh, no. <laughs> and because oh, no. he believed in me, he watched the whole last episode and got to the end and thought, I don't really know what just happened. It all all felt like it was supposed to be really impactful. And then he went back and looked and there were five episodes preceding the big payoff that he had just watched. So now he's, he's having to wait until he, until he's forgotten it all to go back and start from episode one. So don't do that, but you should definitely go and watch it. And it will introduce better than maybe we all have this whole season, the power of film to, to tell a literary story. Oh, cool. It's I, we're living in an era where I think there are more thoughtful TV shows and movies being made than unthoughtful. You know, like yeah. when I was growing up, it was always like TV was the garbage for your brain that you like turned on when you didn't want to think. But like you almost have to think these days. There's so many thoughtful works of art coming out. I was watching. Last night I was watching one called Dairy Girls, oh. which if you have not seen it, <laughs> you totally should. The, the accents alone, their little turns of phrase there in Dairy are so funny. But the storyline also is just what you're saying. Every episode is tight. It's really well written. And there is a, a larger story arc with historical detail going on in the background that you can either focus on or just enjoy the humor yep. in the moment. But I have a, a feeling that all those things are going to be tied together the way that they are in a really good mm. book. And I'm really looking forward to this first season the way that I look forward to the end of the first yeah. in a series of really you know good you novels. You know? When I was in college, I had a friend that said, you know, theater is life. Film is art. And television is furniture. <laughs> <laughs> and I think is he was right Scott? back in the that. late 80s. Yeah. But I think you guys might have a point. That may not be as true now, given the artistic progress that that genre has made. As we have we have taken steps forward from Friends, and I'm not saying Friends isn't great. I loved it, but we have moved forward from that. Cheers! Idea. is a work of art. <laughs> <laughs> well, my friends, thank you so much for your thoughts as usual, and thank all of you listeners for joining us on this journey this season. We will have another one for you, and we'll get to work busily preparing that. And until we hear from you, then happy reading. Happy reading. Happy reading, everybody. Happy reading. And that's a wrap. Thank you for joining us at the movies this season. We hope you've enjoyed our trek through the world of film adaptations. As Ian said, we're busy behind the scenes planning our next Bibliophiles adventure. So stay tuned for an announcement about the topic of season three soon. In the meantime, we so appreciate the support and feedback we've received from listeners in the past several weeks. We hope you'll continue to reach out to us and let us know what you'd like to hear from us going forward. And if you feel so led, Please do visit our Bibliophiles shop on our website to support the creation of future seasons, or leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts to help spread the word. Until we meet again sometime soon, happy reading, everyone.